I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio versus the Martians. Sorry, I hope I didn't interrupt too much there. No. Feel free to interrupt. I hope I didn't step on your what something you were saying, Mike. No, no, it's fine. That's fine. Oh, okay. He's crying now. I had like because... a five minute rant in the middle of that, so I have no place to complain. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm saying Mike is crying. He's actually wiping his eyes. I'm wiping my eye out. Oh. Sorry. I I don't think it's pink eye. I think I just rubbed it way too much, but I I'm turning into the uh, Lashif from <laughs> from Casino Royale now. I always feel sad for that guy. Yeah. He always looks <laughs> He gets kind of fucked over in the end, but you don't gamble with the bad guy's money. Yeah, it's gonna bite you in yeah. the ass eventually. And God, I love that movie. <laughs> that is such a good movie. It really is. Again, that whole ah. thing where he catches a gun and throws it in that guy's face is one of my favorite things in any movie ever. God, that is a great foot chase. Nobody really tries to do cool foot chases anymore. And, and jumps through the wall. You know, it's uh, funny because the there have been times in my life where I've suddenly sat up straight in my chair and said, yes, this, this is what we wanted. And Casino Royale was one of those times. The premiere of The Next Generation was one of those times. Hmm. And uh, Best of Both Worlds was one of those times. Interesting. That, it, but it was always that experience. It was like, yeah, yeah, this is what I had in my head. This is what I wanted to see. Hmm. Because Casino Royale, I mean, my God, I grew up on Fleming's books, and mm. uh, and that the middle third of that movie is like somebody pointed a camera at the novel, but then there's all this great stuff on either end that's brand new. Yeah. It, yeah. I also really love how they hold off on the Bond James Bond moment until the mm-hmm. very end, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's badass. Well, when I knew I was going to be completely swooningly in love with it, was that black and white opening mm. and the yeah. the the killing of the guy in the bathroom is the moment mm-hmm. that we we always oh into the gun barrel yeah. yeah that was fucking great that was when i knew i was just going to be completely in love with it i don't know <laughs> and, if i've mentioned and it was and it was that director who directed the uh, specter which we'll talk about yeah later and this is completely unre- unrelated <laughs> to anything Greg five, in the room. But, but greg have you ever seen friday the 13th part six no. There is a Jason Voorhees gun barrel sequence at the beginning of that movie. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is so bonkers. It's that point of the series where we're like, fuck it, we're just having fun. Because um, he he kills a bunch of guys, and then the main character runs away and takes off in a car, and they just close in on Jason, like, bam, 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 close in on his eye. And suddenly in the <laughs> pupil of his eye, Jason walks from the right, turns and slashes into the title. And I'm like, holy shit, they just did a James Bond thing with Jason. And it's so wonderfully stupid. <laughs> and it's I don't know. There's a giant hole in my ner- – there's a couple of giant holes in my nerd cred, and one of them is slasher movies. I, it's just so not my thing. I saw the first two Friday the 13th movies, and I thought they were just ex- so excruciatingly bad. <laughs> That's I mean, some of their charm. 
they get actually see. Real- I don't. I don't see the charm. I just see the badness. I mean, there are, there are movies that are bad that are also charming, mm. but I don't count Friday the Thirteenth among them. Mm. I think. Yeah, we'll get into that. We're going to do an episode about them eventually. Yeah, let, three and four is when I really start to like those series. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the times when Wrecker's the best is when he he has to stand in for Picard and basically solves a problem in a way that Picard wouldn't solve a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah. and, and like I said, it's his, expressing his own command style. The idea of, of Riker being completely willing um, to blow up the Borg cube um, with Picard on it because, you know, that's the only that's the only play that he actually has is case in point, you know? Um, I don't know... I don't know if Riker. I don't think. I don't think Picard would have blown up the ship with Riker in the if he was in the opposite position. I don't think he would have. And I think that distinction is what makes him a, a less generic character. You know, because he easily could be one. It's it's kind of cool. I like to see Riker in sort of command that he's uncomfortable because you sort of feel the shadow of Picard over everything. But um, it's I I really liked Riker in that episode, and I like that when they remember to focus on other characters, which again they didn't do very much in the in the other series, the original that, you know, w- was there ever an episode that was entirely about Scotty? Maybe once or twice. I think the one where he's accused of murder. There's one where he's accused Rod of Jack. murder. There's, which is pretty good. There's another one where he's in love with the librarian from memory alpha. That's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he got a couple. Hey, there's the one where he gets drunk. Oh, yeah, the the one where he gets <laughs> oh, drunk. Oh, wait, that's every episode. <laughs> um, you know, he had some, yeah, by any other name, he had some nice things to do. He had some nice things to do in Tribbles. But really, mm-hmm. the one that got robbed was Sulu. Yeah. yeah. Sulu never got he, to do He was only any- cool when he was under the influence, Yeah, really. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Sulu is a fun character, and it's... I think it's kind of nice that he eventually does get to – because he doesn't really get a character thing that they keep following up on until you get to part three, and it's how much he likes the Excelsior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, that is a cool ship. <laughs> <laughs> and Scotty also – I like Scotty being uh, – their reactions to the Excelsior throughout those movies is a lot of fun because you can see Scotty just hate it. He doesn't like it that it's shinier than the thing he loves. He, he likes his old pickup truck. He doesn't like the new Ford F-150s, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of cool character stuff that happens in that. Uh, my favorite thing with Bones is for all the times that he's such a Luddite throughout, like he doesn't like these advances and he's set in his ways, is the minute he goes to the past in Star Trek Four, he hates how primitive things are. <laughs> and it's him coming from the opposite. He's so set in his ways. So this exact way is exactly advanced enough that it's not barbarism, but it's also uh, not so sterile that it's completely dehumanized. And I love how... Uh, Bones is probably one of my favorite from the original. I, you just get the impression he enjoys complaining. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I just Sulu gets stuff to do in in part four in a way that he doesn't like. That's probably the most Chekhov ever got to do, aside from Star Trek Two. I think he got some more in that movie. Yeah, I have a copy of uh, the the book Botany Bay. Uh, in, on a bookshelf right next to my bathroom in my house, and I I've always wanted someone at a party to lean over and say. Botany Bay. Oh, no. Botany Bay. <laughs> someday, someday someone will. I like the way he goes, 
damn in that moment <laughs> too um ryan s- requested this i think it's it's worthwhile talking about it because before we reconvene again um the force awakens will be a thing in reality and i'm sure ryan mm-hmm. is exploding at the seams to talk about it so <laughs> r- what's what's going on ryan how are you feeling um, right now champ <laughs> so i'm i'm feeling pretty good i've been watching obviously the you know the trailer um and all the other stuff you know the the international trailer we're getting some tv spots with a lot of stuff i think it's all pretty much confirming the way i felt before which was pretty optimistic about this um episode so i'm getting pretty excited yeah they <laughs> I find myself they didn't spoil it with the trailer, which is good. I always like it when they do that. They don't. They don't. They don't kill the good reveals and the good surprises with the trailer. Although, no, you, no, you no, know, J.J. Yeah. Abrams has been known with his little now infamous black box theory that sometimes he'll hide a surprise in it, and the surprise is only there to create a surprise, not necessarily to serve the story. So that would be one of the things mm-hmm. that would concern me. But no, I think they've. They've yeah, that's the- created a lot of theories, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's theories that uh, Luke has gone to the dark side or something, and you know things like that. Um, I mean, these are the kinds of things that you worry about with J.J. Abrams, I'm sure. But um, I'm not too. I, I'm pretty optimistic, I guess, is what I'll say. I don't know, Mike. Did you want to talk about this at all? Yeah, I'm actually more excited about Star Wars now than I have been since probably early high school. Mm-hmm. And I used to have a complete, it was, for me, Star Wars is a bit like snow. That when I was a kid, I just loved it unconditionally. And mm-hmm. as I got an adu- became an adult, all this messy stuff just came into it. When I was a kid, if it snowed really hard, the harder, the better, close all the streets. Right. I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. I can just stay home. But as an adult, I have to drive in this shit. <laughs> and the odds of them closing down work... I right. have maybe a, a five to ten percent chance that it gets bad enough, but chances are I'm already going to be at work when it starts snowing because nature fucking hates me. But that's kind of what happened is that moment with Star that's Wars. Episode one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, episode one onward, it felt like exactly what Greg was talking about before that you're so desperate to like something that you keep having these these moments. It's like, you're just like, no, maybe I just don't understand. And it's like, you have that moment, mm-hmm. and I had this with M. Night Shyamalan too, and it was halfway through watching The Happening where I'm just like, <laughs> fuck this, this is awful. <laughs> this is really bad. And it's like, I stopped trying to play like apologetics in my head for why this is actually deep. And so this is fucking stupid, and I learned to laugh at it while in the theater, and I'm like, Holy shit, I'm enjoying this a lot more now that I I can admit that it's awful. And Star Wars kind of got there. The prequels did something to me where they just kind of ruined my love of Star Wars in general. I mean, I still don't love it as much as I loved it when I was six, but I think that's prime Star Wars loving age for anybody, for any human. But I'm kind of getting excited again. And I thought that there was this ceiling over which I'm like, oh, hey, Star Wars is fun. And I managed to get the theatricals on DVD on that gold set that they put out, mm-hmm. like probably in 2008, 2009. I grabbed those up and I rewatched them again. Uh, the Red Letter Media reviews that they did actually purged a lot of the bile that I'd had in my system. That mm-hmm. They just finally articulated all these things about these prequel movies that were awful, and I found out after I watched them, not only did I enjoy the reviews, but it had sort of a, the effect of an exorcism, that I wasn't as angry as I was. And then I got to this adult point where I can just have headcanon, and I can just say, you know what? 
I don't have to take this as canon unless I want to. I can just ignore bad shit. I don't have to mm-hmm. pay attention to that. I don't have to harp about how I have to fit this terrible thing into this arcing continuity in my head. I can just let it go. And so I just sort of formed a callus on both ends of my love of Star Wars. <laughs> and this weird thing started happening, getting ready for The Force Awakens. It's like, I think it's breaking through the callus, and there's actual love there. Aww, it's like, right. oh, His heart grew ten sizes. It, it would have to after the prequels. <laughs> but it's like, I, I find myself getting a real affection for this world and these characters again. And I'm like, it's not just the excitement that J.J. Abrams seems to be doing everything right. And I mean, I still have that sort of ambient nerd suspicion about it's going to fuck this up. It's going to fuck this up. But I'm like, he hasn't done anything that hasn't made me happy yet. I haven't seen a big red flag yet. It's like everything seems to be going right. They seem to understand what I want from Star I, Wars. I, I think the only thing that tripped a red flag for me was uh, Darth Vader Jr., whoever that guy is. Um, oh, Kylo Ren? That they felt the need to make um, another Darth Vader. And also that his voice is like, it sounds like they just took a guy off the crew and had him speak into a like a weird voice transmogrifier because whatever that performance was, and uh, you know maybe maybe it'll be a, it, it'll be different, but whatever that performance was when he was talking about finishing what you have started was like who recorded that? I that was a terrible performance. I didn't mind that at all. I did, that didn't bother me. It's not it like it sounded like a school schoolboy. Like Christian Bale Batman voice bothers me way more than that. That oh yeah. Uh, I want justice. I mean, it's like almost the point where you can't understand it. That was dead on. It's like, so bad, and Joker. that was dead on. <laughs> Give me a moment. I just ran up some stairs. Oh, yeah. my side. I mean, that's. it sounds like he's kind of out of breath, and he gargles razor blades while running upstairs, where well, I can understand everything this guy says, and I don't. it doesn't bother me at all. And So, to get back to sort of the joy thing, right? Yeah. Um. I, I mean, because I, I find joy in pretty much everything Star Wars. Um, I even like episode one. Um, so I'm like an outlier. But for me, yeah, I think you're right. I think JJ, JJ seems to know exactly which buttons to press with everybody, right? Yeah, I think I mean, he's an actual fan. Trailers, yeah, and he speaks as though he's an actual fan, and, and that's what he claims to be. Um because I didn't believe him as a fan of, say, Star Trek, when he clearly wanted to do a Star Wars movie while doing Star Trek. And But his love and his yeah. understanding of the problems and issues that people had with the previous movies, like the overuse of CGI and the movie feeling like a video game cutscene where the environment feels too clean and too unreal – and mm-hmm. uh, the use of practical effects and well, just, right. But I got to interrupt here. But it when you say when you say he feels like a fan, uh, like being a, a real fan, being a Star Trek fan and talking people saying I'm a Star Wars fan is kind of like saying I'm a fan of this Christmas card here. You know, it doesn't take much to be a fan because pretty much everyone's a fan of the Star Wars movies. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take much to I, like I'm, those three well, and movies. I'm and, actually and really care about not. them a lot. I'm not. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> no, well, I, now, now I want to know how Greg feels about Force Awakens because you're not a big fan. You say um, you well, claim allegedly. I'm I'm not a big fan. Hmm. We don't. You know, we own a lot of shitty movies at the house. We don't own the Star Wars movies. We don't roll them out. We don't rerun them. I, as far as the George Lucas canon is concerned, I'm much more about Indiana Jones. That's much more in my wheelhouse. Hmm. Star Wars is just I don't know for for. People of my generation, 
you know, I was already a fully formed science fiction guy by the time Star Wars came around, and I was... It doesn't have that childhood resonance for me that it does for so many people. I don't feel betrayed when there's bad Star Wars. I don't it doesn't it doesn't hit me in a personal place the way it does when say there's a a really shitty wrong-headed Superman movie. Hmm. Oh god, get me started. Uh, um <laughs> you know, those Superman was like a huge part of my growing up. Star Wars really was not. I was in high school when Star Wars came out and we we liked it a lot, but I was, my science fiction background was much more about the cerebral kind of Star Trek-y, allegorical, you know, Planet of the Apes science fiction as an examination of the human condition. Star Wars, to me, just feels like more of an adventure movie. It, uh, and it is, I think. You know, you it's know. just... I, I don't think of it as sci-fi at all. It, yeah, it's really... Me, it's, it's not, it's not in that wheelhouse. So, you know, when my no. science fiction posse got all excited about it, I couldn't really... I wasn't feeling it. So as far as The Force Awakens concern is concerned, I will be perfectly satisfied if they're good adventure movies on the level of... The first three. That's really all I need. And I, I think that's all America needs, frankly. I, I think that's all anybody really wants. I think the big thing for most people is that Harrison Ford's in it. And Harrison Ford is very vocal about how he's really not on board with the whole Star Wars thing. And it's not mm. he's not a fan. So if they lured him back, they must have given him something good. You mean you mean that it isn't a signal to most fans around the world that they can somehow convince uh Peter Daniels to come back and play C-3PO. Fuck, that guy would play it in a fucking mayonnaise commercial. If you <laughs> I know. I, exactly. What are they, everybody else, what are they doing? Yeah. You know? Right. It's it's weird. Wait, Anthony Daniels, I'm sorry. God, yeah, how did I fuck that up? You just you just prevented a slew of emails with that <laughs> sentence there. Stop <laughs> typing right now. <laughs> Stop. No, they've already paused. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> it's in the inbox now. <laughs> no, I, I just I just I'm smashed curious. up Peter Mayhew. Do you guys actually get hate mail? I never no. see really mean comments. Everybody, no, everybody I don't think lo- we ever have. Everybody loves us. I think that I think we could why, secretly why, wish why, we could get you, some hate what mail. What are you doing wrong that you don't get hate mail? I, I think, Do we need to get racist, Casey? The, <laughs> no, the worst. No, of course we don't. The worst that we've ever got, and it was constructive criticism, was why do you guys choose the weird things that you choose? Shouldn't you be doing this, this, and this, and this? And then there's plenty know, of time to do all yeah, that stuff. It's like we, the good suggestions. That was basically our, yeah. our <laughs> comment. Was those are good suggestions? We we do them in the order we do them for a number of reasons, and there's no reason we can't do all the stuff you just mentioned too. Right. Well, uh, we will eventually. So we have a we have a reunion of our James Bond panel here, and. Um, so Spectre came out and was a huge movie and was highly anticipated because of how um, successful sort of box office and also critically successful Skyfall was. And we've I, we've heard that you did not watch Spectre. So. It's because it was going to be my wife's birthday present to me. Uh-huh. And then we didn't get paid. So, you know, it's, it's a big deal. You've got for- to deliver the corpses to get paid. That's Pretty what being a bounty hunter is all about. <laughs> you got to do it for the exposure, Greg. <laughs> the um, there are there are book orders that people the I get paid quarterly in royalties on my books from the publisher, and then I also have a certain number of author copies that I have to sell. And uh, and we have had several emails from people that were going to send money, and then they didn't. 
Um, those of you hearing this that got your books, you sent money, and I love you all. Those <laughs> those that you that didn't get books, that's why. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, um, just you know, it's been kind of a rough year financially for Julie and me, and for us to go to the movies, it's a big deal. And movies going- are expensive, and we usually have, have dinner. So by the time we're done with the evening, we're out sixty or seventy dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's movies. Spite. Movies in the theater are expensive, and that's why it is a big deal when a new James Bond movie comes out. So should we regrettably ask you to leave the room so no. we can? No, we don't, we don't have to. Not no. no. We can always. I. <sighs> you really want to talk about I, spoilers to I Spectre? Need, I need to talk about spoilers to Spectre. I need to get something off my chest. If it's the daddy thing, um, somebody spoiled it for me. Well, <laughs> let's um, let's do let's do this. I w- I told you that I had a little bit of a mea culpa, and Ryan was itching to talk about Star Wars. Let's not let's throw this away. Uh, I had a t- I have a tirade on our uh, George Lucas panel. I said that I wanted to uh, have some Schadenfreude about um, <laughs> Star Wars fans experiencing the type of the type of betrayal um, with their franchise because of J.J. Abrams' his wrath, and I think I've largely let that go. Largely, um, largely, <laughs> I've largely let that go. Except for the part where you're bringing it but up it's, again. But it's, <laughs> but it's time for me to move on uh, from that. And also, you're gonna cry in France. I'm gonna, yes, <laughs> Get it out of your we're gonna rustle around in the mud and then we're gonna cry. Uh, I'm going to have a reverse schadenfreude yes. about you feeling guilty about having wanted us to have a bad experience with Star Wars. No, I, and, I, and here's where we're, we're going to let it all out. I had a similar reaction to talking about things that haven't been made yet, about things that I like, you know, in, in, as sequels to things that I like. Blade Runner 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I had an entire low point about how the potential of re-releasing a reboot or what or a restart or whatever of Blade Runner um, in the current the current conditions was uh, anathema to my experience of Blade Runner. Um, I just went and saw Sicario, which was a new mo- the new movie by Denis Villeneuve, the director who will do the next Blade Runner movie, and it was also shot by Roger Deakins, who's the cinematographer for lots of the Coen Brothers movies. Um, he's a fucking one of the best living cinematographers uh the narrative depth the subtlety um the ability to of uh, the a subtle visual storytelling and the ability to uh play play with the humanity and inhumanity of characters of the uh, and, and high stakes condi- uh, hyper hyper real conditions um i think Denis Villeneuve can do it I think he could go the extra mile. The question isn't for me now isn't whether or not it's helmed by the by the right people because I think cinematography and directing are in the hands of the right people. For me, I think it might actually come down to whether or not the script either whether or not the script can do something and add to that world in a way that's worthy of what the original movie did. Um so I have now flipped the switch and in a, in a Further retcon versus The Martian, um, it's no longer my low point because it could be great. It could be amazing. It could be. Mm. I always well, hope for it. Isn't the be. whole history of Blade Runner a prolonged accident that worked out really well? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's that's the whole. Pretty much everything that's good about Blade Runner was not originally intended. Yeah. You know, they they backed into it. They found it while they were working. Hmm. I think you have to make allowances for that. We just we just did a huge panel on a show that was all about that. That took three years to find itself. 
Right. I, th- I think the thing that makes it a little harder to hit that note again is like the same question about I can throw a dart at that wall and I can hit that spot there I could, because I'm not aiming for it. Right. But if you pull that dart out and tell me to hit that exact same thing that I just did effortlessly, that's hard. Hmm. Well, um, see, the the real problem is that they're going back to Blade Runner at all. What they should right. do is go back yeah. to the world. They should make a movie called, I don't know, Replicants. Ray Blunner. <laughs> it should be about somebody that's gates. not Rick Deckard. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's an open question as to whether or not, I think Harrison Ford said he would be in it. It's an open question about whether or not they're just going to have him trotting his old bones around like well, now uh, you know he's not a replicant yeah, if you bring him back true, and he's true. older than four years <laughs> well, old well that, that whole replicant theory is if if i'd been on that show that would have been my low point that just irritates me the whole point of the thing is that decker the human has to learn how to be human that's the irony that's the whole dramatic fucking theme of the thing hmm. if if you know you're a stoner director saying oh wouldn't it be awesome if he was a replicant you're undercutting your whole fucking theme it means you, you don't know you, what you're you doing you say that but ridley scott is the antithesis of a stoner director he is a fucking st- uh, sober stone cold anti-hippie director then i don't know how he hit on the same sort of stupid thing that would be something that my stoner high school buddies would have hit on in the back of a car because it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dumb idea <laughs> yeah i i worried too and i think this is the sort of thing where when Blade Runner was new, there wasn't – I mean, there are fans of the Philip K. Dick book, but that's a lot smaller than there are fans of Blade Runner now, now that Blade Runner has become this huge cultural thing, especially in the world of science fiction, that it's, now – It sparked a genre. Yeah. Cyberpunk came out of Blade Runner, really. Yeah, yeah there's so much that oh, yeah. Blade Runner is now that you can't take risks with it because it's so big and because it's seen as being this huge transformative moment in – science fiction movies, the studio is going to be way more cut off to wanting to take risks with it or try the sort of things that allow you to have that sort of happy accident that you got with that movie. I mean, it could I be... I thought the same thing about Mad Max, though. I didn't think they were ever going to make a, another good one, and this third one right. was amazing. That was, yeah. the, that was the same director going back to it, though, so it's a little harder for it to... But yeah. the same director going sure. back to it is almost always terrible. Yeah. That I, Mad Max Fury Road is like... It's like the anomaly. It's, That's yeah. never going to happen again because if there's ever a movie that you say, oh, yeah, by the way, this thing was in production hell for 30 years, yeah, it's going to be a piece of shit. Right. But this thing was right. great. Right. I mean, not, how, many right. t- how many things do you think I, they've changed? I, I have a terrible confession to make. <laughs> you didn't um, like it? Well, it wasn't that we didn't like it. We were um, watching it. Usually the way it works in my house is I get one and Julie gets one. So Julie wanted to see Minions. And we watched Minions. Couldn't meet further apart, those two movies. And then we watched <laughs> Fury Road. And like 10 minutes into Fury Road, Julie said, well, this is live action Minions. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and I could not get it out oh, of my wow. head. Can't unsee. It's, yeah. And we ended up just giving up on it. My, my, I'm my last, have to try it again. I have to later. go with my last point about Blade Runner, and this is all we will say until it's it's you know how many years from now it's going to take to happen. Is that it could be to me analogous to Chinatown and the Two Jakes? Could mm. be. No one is going to say that the Two Jakes is as good or better of a movie than Chinatown, but. Um, there are, and it's not a great movie, but there are some s- incredibly satisfying things about revisiting uh, 
Jake, what's his face? I can't, why can't I ever Jake Gittis. Jake get it. Jake get it. Get us. Um, and that character in a sli- in a slightly in the same world, a little bit older, a little bit more matured. I adored what that movie was trying to do, even though it could never have achieved what the original did. Yeah, that knife trick with the nose always still <laughs> freaks me out. <laughs> is it weird that when I, I see violence in a movie that I could watch Jason Voorhees rip somebody literally in half or I could <laughs> see somebody get set on fire and I feel nothing? But there are certain little things that aren't fatal, but they make me cringe all the more. And the knife – for those who haven't seen Chinatown, there's a part where uh, Jack Nicholson, Jake Geddes, is being threatened. And they take a switchblade. They put the blade up his nose and then just going to move their wrist really fast. And I'm just like, oh, God. And it's like – it's. I mean, I'm never going to be ripped in half. I'm never going to be set on fire, I hope. Um, but – it's the, I could imagine having an accident at some point of my life that slashes, slashes my nostril, and that to me is way easier to relate to and way more terrifying, and I can imagine being horrified and running to a hospital with that. The same thing in uh, The Big Lebowski, where the uh, police of chief, the chief of police in Malibu is threatening the dude, and the dude is just out of it because he's been drugged, and he's like, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, and he hucks that coffee mug that hits the dude in the head and it just the foley artist is so great because it's the sound of porcelain hitting skull and he just goes oh you fucking fascist that coffee mug i've watched that movie for the first time with so many people and i've seen so many people cringe at the coffee cup sound because it's it's relatable and it sounds like it really hurt well it's it's i talk about this in the writing classes that i teach it's about earned violence violence mm. you know yeah. the yeah. you can make the jason Voorhees stuff just as horrible as the jake Giddis stuff but you have to earn it nobody in the friday 13th movies bothers they don't earn it it's yeah because i think know, it's inherent to the to the it's, it's, genre you know well the, the genre is about exploiting it and doing it makes it me a, sad that we call it a genre now because it used to be a genre of of horror you know, you can you can trace the the DNA of Friday the Thirteenth back to something like Psycho, sure. And um, you know, movies about a mad slasher to me are not the same thing as quote slasher movies, especially mm. you know in the eighties when they were everywhere. You know, Friday the Thirteenth and and Happy Birthday to Me, which was just. Basically, the through line for Happy Birthday to me was, how many bizarre ways can we murder somebody? It turns out a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, literally, that was that was her birthday gift was, I'm going to kill everybody that was ever mean to me in really weird ways. There's times I would take that gift. <laughs> I, would, I definitely say. Well, Especially in middle school. I think I would have accepted that gift when I was 14. You know, but, a lot of us would. That's why school shooting, news of school shootings never surprises yeah, us. That's the thing with the it never Columbine me. really kind of hurt the genre of slashers because we suddenly realized that murdering teenagers was not funny. No. But for me, and this is kind of a half defense, actually a full defense of the <laughs> slasher genre, which is that you had that sort of description on our episode of, of Running Man that there is a certain kind of action movie that doesn't bill itself as a comedy. Uh-huh. And I think that the best slasher movies are that same way where it's, I can't believe they went there, and oh my God, that's ridiculous. Yeah, you can do it. There's one called uh, Motel Hell, I think. Yes. That, the Chainsaw and the Pig Mask? Yeah. I, you know, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. I never have understood the cult that sprung up around Jason, though. 
Hmm. I think for me, Jason is essentially, and we'll probably get into this more when we touch about it, but I think of him as essentially Phyllis Schlafly with a machete. <laughs> That he has a lot of problems with uh, the changing social norms of the 1980s and usually solves them by throwing teenagers through windows. And he's just like, what? Premarital sex? And he responds in the only way he knows how. So I, I think when you kind of enjoy it that sort of way, it's he's... When you're, an, when you're an undead psychopath with the machete, all problems look like uh, jungle leaves, I guess. Yeah, I guess I so. <laughs> He's kind of, a, kind of a killer savant. He's not good at anything except murdering teenagers who are oversexed and doing drugs. <laughs> so it's, I guess that's kind of my defense of the genre is that I kind of love when it just kind of embraces it. And also the, the 1980s thing where so many of the main characters are just horrible people. <laughs> and you kind of go well, back and forth rooting for and against the main character. But that's the whole EC Comics formula. Yes. Yeah. Watching terrible things happen to people that you really don't have to feel sorry for at all. <laughs> <laughs> Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.